Welcome to this opportunity to read and study from the Word of God from Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. We will complete the study of Philippians in a few weeks. After this study, I'd like to take us into a survey of 17 periods of Bible history. I'm working on that material. I am hoping to have worksheets ready in just a few days. Class content for this time, Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. Listen carefully, please, as we read. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The temperament and thought life of the Christian is clearly written by the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul. Let's begin. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Then it says, the Lord is at hand. I want to start by focusing on the word reasonableness. And when you consult other translations, it might be helpful. In the New King James and the New International Version, the term is gentleness. In the American Standard Version, forbearance. In the King James Version, moderation. Now take a moment and think about what you would associate with these words. Again, the words in a variety of translations are gentleness, forbearance, moderation, and reasonableness. Maybe it will help to think of just the opposite. Harsh, impatient, imposing, unreasonable. So this is a call to be gracious, patient, showing forbearance or moderation, being thoughtful, reasonable. For example, if somebody says something to you that hits a certain trigger of emotion or disagreement, and you immediately, without any thought or plan, jump down their throat, seems to me you are not faithfully applying this passage. If you are cold, discourteous, or unreasonable in dealing with people, it would be highly recommended you go back and take a personal look at this passage and yourself and overall, what the Bible says about the mindset of a faithful child of God, and then use all of that to discipline and govern your temperament toward maturity. 
if I am living in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord, and aware daily of the Lord's presence in my life, there should never be a reason to not be gentle and reasonable. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness or reasonableness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. In the English Standard Version, the expression, the Lord is at hand, needs some attention. Some of the modern translations have rendered this, the Lord is coming soon, the New Living Translation. I see no contextual evidence for that rendering. I see this in terms of the Lord's presence or nearness in your life, not something anticipatory, but something current that is motivation to be reasonable. He is aware of your temperament. He is near. He is in your life, and you're living with him. He is available to help you discipline and maintain good temperament. A good reference passage to all of this would be in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 1, where it speaks of the meekness of and gentleness of Christ. That should be cultivated in us every day, and Bible classes like this should help us cultivate this reasonable attitude and temperament. If you need more help with this, just keep reading. And in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. I may spend a lot of time talking to you about this because I believe we all know anxiety is a common problem. Examples. Anxious about finances. Things are broke that you can't afford to fix. Will you continue to have a job? what's happening in the overall national and local economy? What about retirement? What unforeseen major expenses may impact your life? That's all anxiety. We are anxious about health, especially as we grow older. We may wonder if we will have cancer or Alzheimer's or be disabled. Decreasing mobility an activity is on the minds of older folks and sometimes concern about loss of memory. That's anxiety. We worry about our children and grandchildren. Will they turn out okay? Will they avoid the temptations of our age? Will they marry a good person? Will they have a good life connected to the Lord? We worry about the neighborhood, the church, the nation, our friends. And if I keep on going about this, I'm afraid I'll drag you down into a pit of anxiety. I don't want to do that. I want to illustrate it. As Christians, we must learn to identify anxiety and then learn to apply what God's Word says to handle it. You may not reduce it altogether, but you can use God's Word to handle it. 
and this may be harder for some people than others. But this is absolutely relevant. As Christians, we must learn to identify anxiety, and if we can't remove it altogether, learn how to apply God's Word to handle it, to cultivate discipline. Now this says, be anxious for nothing, or the English Standard Version, do not be anxious about anything. You know, this may be one of those statements in the Bible we read and we don't just jump on board right away. In fact, we may try to figure some way to take the edge off of it or give it some interpretation that might make it easier to digest. I'm not going to give you any help in that. This says be anxious for nothing. Do not be anxious about anything. If you're living right in the Lord and rejoicing in the Lord and letting your gentleness be evident to all men, this is nothing that should just drive you crazy. Maybe this will help. This word anxiety means excessive care that distracts. Excessive care that distracts. The Bible doesn't say don't care about anything or plan or try to solve a problem. But when that care reaches a point where you are paralyzed and distracted from doing your duties before God in life, you need to stop. You stop it by seeing the anxiety as unreasonable and reestablishing, strengthening your trust in God and returning to a mindset of stability. Remembering discipline involves the whole range of daily responsibilities we have accepted in Christ. Do not be anxious about anything. And it may also help to remember Jesus made it clear in his Sermon on the Mount that anxiety often stems from a lack of faith from a wrong focus on the things of this world instead of the things of the kingdom. That's in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, especially when you read that focus on verses 30 and 33. To deal with anxiety, with excessive care that distracts us from good, godly living, one, recognize it as excessive, and two, trust in God. And three, understand that worry accomplishes nothing. The third point is directly from the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. He said, do not worry. And he said, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? So the term Paul uses, anxious, in verse 6, here in Philippians 4. Or to have anxiety translates a Greek term that means to be unduly concerned. So let's do this. Philippians 2.20 says concerning Timothy, he is genuinely concerned for your welfare. Do you remember that a couple of weeks ago in Philippians 2.20? Paul said Timothy is genuinely concerned for your welfare. Genuine Concern is good. Never condemned. 
in fact, a necessity and a product of love for God and love for others. But when genuine concern crosses the line and becomes obsessive and distracting and a hindrance to our duties, then you need to pray and restore yourself to a more balanced, reasonable frame of mind. The negative kind of anxiety can become a destructive force. The devil can use that against us. Something I learned the hard way in my very early years of preaching 50 years ago, when one day it finally hit me, I was staying up all night worrying about people who were sound asleep. Now back to verse 6. It would be one thing for Paul to say, be anxious for nothing and end that with a period. He doesn't do that. After telling us what we should do, he tells us in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let me rephrase how I introduce that. After telling us what we should not do, Paul tells us what we should do, and that's where he says, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Uh, what if I gave you this paraphrase? Don't worry yourself to death. Pray yourself alive. Don't worry yourself to death. Pray yourself alive alive with God. Would that be a fair statement of what this teaches? It sounds so utterly simple and should be something that each of us know about through experience. If you have one hour free and you can use that hour to either worry or pray, which would be a better use of the hour? Well, of course, the answer is clear that prayer would be better. And in these prayers, in these prayers, three things, let me go back there for now. In these prayers, three words are given as the components of these prayers. Supplication, thanksgiving, and request. Supplication is a word that assumes lack or need. Asking God to supply what you lack. It may be money or patience or energy or wisdom. When you supplicate, you confess your lack, your need, and you ask God to supply it. But you do that with thanksgiving and humility. Thanksgiving simply means expressions of gratitude or appreciation to God for what you already have. Request is a word that overlaps with supplication a little, but the emphasis is on asking. The emphasis in the word supplication is a confession that you need something or that you have lack. The emphasis in the word request is asking. So let me put this together. If you are excessively concerned, if worry is keeping you up at night and keeping you from the responsibilities during the day, are just driving you crazy, recognize that problem, recommit yourself to trust in God, and take that time you spend fretting and pray. 
including in those prayers confessions of your need, gratitude, asking God to help. Be specific in that, always trusting He will respond wisely to His people. Got it? I'm going to go back and pick up verse 4 and read down through verse 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. That's what we need in this time. Now, once I get this all nailed down up to this point from verses 4, 5, and 6, I'm able to move to verse 7 and enjoy very much what is expressed there. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I hope it is clear to us. In order to have the peace promised in verse 7, we have to be in compliance with what is taught in verses 5 and 6. I really want to nail that down. I want to emphasize that. I want you to see that. In order to have the peace promised in verse 7, we have to be in compliance with what is taught in verses 5 and 6. I cannot just ignore verses 5 and 6 and then jump into verse 7 and claim it because it's all connected. As I embrace and practice what is taught in verses 5 and 6, the result is in verse 7, the peace of God, which is so rich that it surpasses all understanding and which is so powerful. It will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Well, we really need to leave verses 8 and 9 to the next class, please. Especially vital is having good biblical definitions of each key word in verse 8, and so we're going to leave that for the next class. That's ahead. Wrap-ups for this class. This passage connects two things, prayer and your frame of mind. If you are having trouble with one, examine the other. Prayer and your frame of mind. If you're having trouble with one, examine the other. If you're not praying as you should, not diligent and faithful to speak to God through Christ, check your attitude, your frame of mind. If your attitude, your frame of mind is not what it should be, be more studious and committed to prayer. God puts these two things together, prayer and your frame of mind. When people tell me they are being pulled down by anxiety, often they confess they're not faithful in prayer. 
And the people who do not pray as they should are often the people who suffer with anxiety, excessive care and concern. Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, if we are not consistent in prayer, we will lose heart. Prayer and peace of mind go together. Closely related to that, the peace of God here is not just some magical, mystical, automatic thing that you just somehow get. Peace from God is a product of your healthy relationship with Him. And that healthy relationship involves your devotion to what we've learned here in Philippians 4 in verses 5 and 6. This is why it is so important to study the Bible in context, expository, detailed studies like this, where you see how everything is connected. Then I wanted to say, a well-arranged heart produces a well-arranged life. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Get these matters of heart and attitude and prayer right. Read over this passage again, and you may witness powerful changes God is able to enact in your life. I'm praying about that for you while I ask you to pray for me in the same way. Thank you for listening. 